0: The one-on-one sales improvement platform that's transforming how high-growth sales leaders use Salesforce around the world. Create one-on-ones your reps will thank you for and use Exvoyant to help your sales managers create unique plans for every rep on your team. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today, we are joined by Amy Volus, founder and CEO of Avenue Talent Partners. Amy is a sales veteran-turned-entrepreneur that's made it her life's work to help companies reduce the margin of error when it comes to hiring sales executives and enterprise salespeople. Amy helps companies enter and stay in high-growth mode by avoiding the painful effects of mishiring. Amy's influence in the sales community is seen everywhere, and she was recently recognized by Sales Hacker as one of the most influential women in sales. Her company is built by salespeople for salespeople, and I am pumped to have her join us today. Amy, thank you so much for joining us on our show. I have been dying to get you on. Uh, Welcome to the
1: show. Rob, thank you so much. I've been dying to get on the show, so this is an exciting day. Thank you, thank you.
0: No problem. Let's start by having you introduce your company. Talk to us about Avenue Talent Partners and what it is you guys do.
1: So I started the company four years ago, and it is meant to help varying stages of startups, we're industry agnostic. We care more about the health of the sales function or organization, and it's all about helping our start, startup friends, excuse me, get sales hiring right the first time around for enterprise sellers all the way through the executive leadership team.
0: Hmm. Okay. That's that's a, a really good uh, focus place to be, and I'm telling you, I can't wait to dive, in, dive into that because... Uh, there's a lot of people who, everybody we get on our show, you've, you've listened to our show a few times. Uh, when we talk about what sales leaders have to get right, building the right team always is part of the blueprint. And, you know, I've heard someone say, you can't make chicken salad out of chicken shit. And, um, <laughs> and so um, I, like I can't it. wait to help have you kind of give some, some of what you guys have found helps companies enter and then stay in high growth mode. So can you talk a little bit about you? I mean, what I love about you, Amy, is you and I participate in a lot of, of uh, different communities together. I'm super glad to meet you. I see you here because like, I feel like I've known you forever, and now I'm, like, seeing and talking to you, I think, for the first time.
1: Seriously. And, and the feeling is so mutual. It's like one of those things where it's like, this is our first conversation, but it doesn't feel like a first conversation. That's right. Oh, so, yeah. No, thank you. thank so, you.
0: Again. So talk to us about how you got started. And ultimately, how did that lead you to becoming an expert in hiring? Particularly, I want to spend a little time in enterprise as well, because I think that's a different beast. And I think that the, the cost of a mishire at the enterprise level might even be scarier. Can you yeah. tell me a little bit about your history and, and what led you to say, hey, we can do this differently and better than anybody else?
1: So I'm a big fan of – and I guess I'll start with, like, current state and, and go back. But I'm a big fan, especially if I'm trying to fix this thing. So, like, I'm a huge Simon Sinek fan. And the whole why and why you do something – is germane to anything I feel like. And for me, if you would have come to me five years ago, Rob, and said, Hey, I can predict the future and you're going to own a sales recruiting firm for startups. I'd have been like, get out of here. Like buy no, thank you.com. But that really struck me as a true opportunity to fix something. And so, you know, as an entrepreneur, you do this for one of two reasons. You either create a company because you're going to change the face of how something's done like an Uber Or, and I'm not that person at all, um, or you've been around the block for a long time and you've seen the broken bits and pieces and you care deeply about those bits and pieces and you want to make it better or you want to fix it or you want to flip the script on it, whatever it might be. And I am certainly that person. So if you took um, a ride in a time machine with me and we went back 20 some odd years ago. I knew, I I mean, I wanted to be James Bond, right? Like, or, or like some sort of secret spy. I didn't think I'd be in sales and I thought that sales was icky and, um, I did care a lot about people though. And I get, I'm one of those people that gets a lot of energy from other people. So I could talk to people for 14 hours in a row and be like, Hey, who, what, where's the next conversation where most people just need to disconnect. That's just not my jam. And so I started out as a tech recruiter which I can't even imagine because I don't speak that language at all these days. And this was back in the late 90s. <laughs> yes, I go that far back.
0: That's hey, all right. You're 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 not you're you're in my era right now. So that's great.
1: Generation X for the win. Yes. Um <laughs> so yeah, I know, right? Cheers. Cheers to that. Right. So when I think about that, um this was before like the word startup was even used. I was with a tech company and we were doing really well. And I learned a lot of lessons as a recruiter because the account that I was recruiting for was one client and it's where 98% of our business was. And all of a sudden nine 11 happens. um, The dot com bubble happens and I survived multiple layoffs. And this was,
0: so nothing scares you anymore. Right?
1: I know. Right. I mean, (laughs) I've been through two recessions, so yeah, no, I'm like, bring it. Um, But when I think about that time, and I look back on that so fondly because some of my best friends to this day came from that place and we were doing such great business. And it was really unfortunate that um, we put all of our eggs in one basket from a sales perspective. And that, that has always struck a chord. Like your pipeline is always important. Yep. Uh, but the CEO who we loved and adored and all of us would have taken a bullet for sat me down and he's like, Amy, I love you. You've survived all these layoffs, but there's nothing left for you to recruit for. And if you want a job, You get out there and you start selling. Well, I mean, I loved this company. I loved this guy. What am I going to do? And it was all enterprise sales. So here I am, this puppy, knocking on the doors of companies at the time, MCI and Walgreens, and, you know, like these huge, huge, huge brands. And I had no playbook. I had no training. I was scared out of my mind about losing my job and not being part of this company that I loved so much. And I just had to figure it out and I fell in love at the same time. And I learned a lot of lessons, especially like this pipeline thing that I'm talking about. So that's where it started. And it uh, led me to the startup world that is my second business love. And I spent a bunch of time in and around the recruiting talent acquisition space, um, always enterprise sales. So that is my first love sales leadership and, um, you know, kind of somewhere in between those two roles because when you're at a startup, you kind of do everything, right? And yeah. so lots of lessons learned, lots of mistakes I made, lots of mistakes I saw others making, lots of calls from recruiters that I would get, um, <laughs> watching internal recruiting, get it right, get it wrong. And when it came to me starting the company in 2015 and I challenged myself that if I was going to do it, I started a company in 2008. We'll leave that where that is because that was the second recession that kicked my butt. Yep. And um, I had to step away from that business because of the economy. The business that we were in was tied directly to healthcare, tied directly to the auto industry. And those were two big topics that weren't going so well at that time. So all of that culminated into needing, needing to step away, but knowing that I wanted to do my own business. And so flash forward and here I am. And loving sales and loving startups and seeing a true opportunity to, to make recruiting better, because I know firsthand when you get it wrong, that pain that you feel. I've been on both sides of that coin. And so here I am. Um, and I, I am very passionate and outspoken, as you know, about challenging companies to think about it differently. The status quo is not okay, and it needs to change. And that's why I'm here.
0: I love your story. I love it. You've set it up. Awesome. I, I also really relate. I relate to so much of what you said, particularly, uh, as you said, you, you got this particular love for enterprise sales. Like I I'm involved in all kinds of sales I've seen every sales motion. I, I've worked with all of it, but I do, I have a soft spot for enterprise sales. Cause that's where I cut my teeth as well. And, uh, so it's good. So let's, so let's get into it a little bit. Like you mentioned it, the way you talk about your story, uh, the effect of mishiring it, it, The cost of a bad hire, there's so much data around that. And I I read it. I haven't done my own data, my own study on that. I've just seen it, you know, especially in the young uh, area, when you start hiring your first people, you got to hire, right? You hire the wrong people and, and it's expensive because, you know, in some jobs you can find out really fast if you got the wrong person. But when you're talking about an enterprise sales cycle that you say, well, it's a long sales cycle, you're longer in your patience than you might be with other people, And sometimes the the effect of mishiring is way more expensive than it needs to be. Can we start
1: talking about that for a second? Why is hiring so hard to get right? Because I think um, most, and this comes from my lens of startups, right? I I also think it applies to companies outside of the startup realm. But I was fortunate enough in my sales career that I did all of the jobs, like this over-segmented thing. And yes, I am of that camp that I think sales is over-segmented. I think that's part of the problem where we've split it up too much and nobody really understands any one of those roles of how it um dovetails up to the buyer journey. And that is where recruiting starts in my mind of like, why are you hiring? What exactly is happening in your business? What does your buyer really need? And what most do is I just need to hire salespeople, right? There's like zero intentionality of what does sales mean to us? Is it SMB? Is it mid-market? Is it enterprise? Um, you know, I, I was my own SDR. I was my own customer success person. I was my own enterprise seller. And I am so thankful that I had to do all of those things because it does lead into my own process of why we help our clients get it right. But that's not a plug. It's really about shooting from the hip and thinking that all salespeople are created equal. It's like not all companies are created equal. And, um, the number one thing, so I get brought in to do one of two things. I get brought in because this isn't somebody's first rodeo and they really want to get it right. Or I'm cleaning up a mess. And it's usually cleaning up a mess if I'm being 100% honest here. And the mess is, you know, we, we were advised by our board or we used our network. We had some introductions. These people came strongly recommended. And they were successful in their sales career, so why wouldn't we hire them? Well, you're an early stage seed round company and you hire somebody out of Adobe, no offense to Adobe, but how somebody out of like an Adobe is enabled and the way that they can get a seat at the table just because they're Adobe is very, very different than a seed round company. That's one reason. When I'm thinking about enterprise sales, people will think, you know what, we've gotten some leads from these big brands and that equals big bucks, let's just spin up an enterprise sales function and you know what, we're going to do this. And in six months we'll have a fully loaded pipeline. Everything will be great and we'll be successful. It takes at least 18 months to build that out. And so I think it's like perception versus reality. And we're Mm. living in this world of, I heard it. I went to a conference. Somebody told me my board says it. My VC says it, this other company is doing it. And in my opinion, that's really great perspective But that doesn't mean that's your reality. And so people are just kind of like, it's like the sheep syndrome, as I call it. Like they're following everybody else instead of paying attention to what their business demands are and figuring out what's right at their stage with what they're doing and why they need what they need. And more importantly, what their buyer demands, because at the end of the day, Rob, it doesn't matter what you and I say or anybody else says, it's what your buyer says because they hold the keys.
0: Hmm. So I, I buy what you just said. I, I, I've, I've seen that myself. I've made, especially, I remember, I'm thinking of a particular hire I made early in my career when I was running a sales team, and I was trying to grow a new division for an existing company, and so we, we were basically a startup inside of a high-growth company, if that makes sense, it does. and, and I, I went and I said, let's go find people that are crushing it for other companies with the right logos to your Adobe story that you had. I remember one gentleman I hired in particular that had been crushing for a different company. And when I brought him in, he was unable to act like a startup. He was unable to just go get stuff. He, if he didn't have all of the tools and all of the enablement stuff and all of these things, and he wanted at least two people doing lead gen for him and all of this kind of stuff, like he wasn't able to do the job. And, uh, and so I think that's really insightful as we're starting to talk about how do we scale teams is are the people matching the stage of growth that we're in. And and I think that might be a very common mistake. Do you you see that happening a lot?
1: I 100% do. The last two searches that we did were replacing the incumbent executive leader. And um, and, and in both cases, twice. This was their second mishire. Inside of, in each case, less than three years. Think about how that affects your business, right? And so we're brought in, and both of those searches were successful, which is great. But the big takeaway for each one of those was from the standpoint that the each person that they hired came from a referral. So they automatically felt like this must be great. Like a referral is great. It's an introduction. It doesn't mean that that's good for you. It's like a blind date. I could hook you up with my best friend, but she may not even be your type or you're not aligned with what, what, you know is important to you. So it's a great introduction, it's a warm introduction, but it doesn't mean that it's okay for you. And the common theme here was they were while each one had been in the startup community, it had been a long time since they had been in the startup community and they were big company sort of corporate minded people that were used to being handed down an order and just doing it versus creating the order, right? At an yeah. early stage company as a sales leader If you're used to being told what to do and having all sorts of things around you for revenue ops, sales ops, sales enablement, like whatever it is, and there's a process for the process, behind the process, to the process, around the process, your mindset and what you bring to the table is completely different. And they both of those companies suffered greatly because you had somebody, in one case, the gentleman that was in the role, was like, I don't travel to see customers unless I stay in a five-star hotel. Like, who does that? Like, yeah. that's insane. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's those things. And I think in my world, at least, for my technical founder friends, they know how to hire engineers and product folk really, really well because they get it. They've done it. They have that perspective. But when it comes time to hiring salespeople or sales leaders that came up through the SMB ranks and now it's time to hire an enterprise team, these are not the same languages. It's like if you go to Italy, which I've lived in before. Nice. You go from southern to northern, you have dialects, right? Like you don't you don't speak a language the same way. And so it doesn't it's not a one size fits all, and so I think part of what's the matter in sales recruiting is we look at somebody's profile and the keywords and president's club and quota attainment and this and that, but you don't realize how they did what they did and why they were doing it and what's important to them. Um, and so that's a real problem. And I think with sales recruiting specifically from a technical founder perspective, just getting somebody that's going to set up meetings or appointments or close deals, there's a lot more to that story than what they're giving credit for to the detriment of their company if they don't realize that.
0: So let's talk about, I just wrote down a whole bunch of good notes from what you just said, and you've prompted another question that I want you and me to kick around, Amy. So- I'm I'm putting myself in the shoes of people that are listening right now. So they're stuck in traffic or they're on a treadmill or they're whatever. They're walking the dog. They're they're listening to us talk about building teams.
1: Yep.
0: And we just got done saying we have to hire people for the stage that our company's in right now. So how do you balance hiring for where you are versus hiring for where you want to be? Um, I mean, that's, is that a yin and yang? Is I mean, how, how do you balance that? Because you don't want to just get stuck in where you are. You want to make sure that you're, setting yourself up to have growth because our show is about getting into and staying in high growth mode. How do you balance those two things?
1: I think to grow, you have to slow it down a second and slowing it down a second is understanding what truly do the next 18 to 24 months look like anything more than that is foolish to plan for because things change, especially in startups. And so I always hated that interview question where it was like, where you see yourself in five to 10 years in this landscape, nobody knows where they see themselves in five to 10 years. And I'm a big fan of planning, right? Like there's that Benjamin Franklin, Franklin quote of, if you plan to fail, you, you fail to plan. Or if you, you know, right. a
0: plan I, to, fail to plan, you plan to fail. Yep. Thank
1: you. Yes. 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 A little butcher job, um, which I'm known for. So, you know, there's, there's that whole thing of, yes, you could be in high growth mode. But what does the next road ahead look like? And I think when it comes to a sales leader, the person that you hire today, right? Is going to be different than when you get, let's say today is you want to get to 15 million and you're at 5 million today. That person is going to look completely different than when you're at 100 million. And chances are it's not going to be the same person and that's okay. It doesn't mean that it has to be disaster. It doesn't mean that you have to lose them. It means you have to set the right expectation of, we'd love to help you grow into the role. Maybe you're suited for it. Maybe you're not. If you've never done it before, how in the world do you think you're going to get there? And when I think about people that have done that before, they have a thirst for knowledge. They want to understand what that looks like. They have mentors outside of the company that help them understand those building blocks, the same thing with the salesperson. So to think about that, I think it's all about setting expectations of, I don't have a crystal ball, right? Here's what we need today. And here's what the next 24 months looks like beyond that. I don't know, but here's what I can promise you. I will be in communication with you. We will understand what's important to you and work out a plan together. That's going to equal better referrals, longer, um, longevity with the person sticking with you, it, it, it fosters that internal growth. Then trying to figure out and putting the wrong person in the job and over promising and under delivering. That's where that big churn cycle starts happening.
0: All right. I get that. I buy that too. So, so there's a ton of questions that I have. I can't, I, I don't think we're going to be able to get into everything. Cause I got, I've got a million questions. I feel like I'm in a wind <laughs> tunnel with things because I think this topic of team building and and getting the right people on the bus is so big, I, I, I do think that as long as you hire good people, then then the leader can come in and say I'll make them better. But still, you've got to get these right people so they at least are moldable. I don't know the right place to start. Uh, maybe it's it's timing. Like when should a sales when should a company know it's time to get a head of sales? When should a company know it's time to scale sales people? Do you, is there one more important than the other? I mean, leadership, but then scaling people around around inside the team. Timing of either of those. Pick one of those. Let's talk about that because they're both on my mind right now.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think timing is everything, right? Okay. And about the right time, right person, right job. In my okay. mind, that's how I kind of break it out. And I don't think that there's one set answer, Rob. Like, I don't okay. think that – Fair. It's like a plug and play thing. I think it really, from a startup perspective, I love it when the founder has been involved in the sales process because they get it. They understand the buyer journey. They're going to be able to understand um, what makes sales tick. They're not just going to be shooting from the hip. That's like music to my ears because I vet my clients as much as I bet anybody I'd bring their way. I try to understand, do you have perspective of the task at hand? And I start looking – I always say, like, look for the tells, right? And I don't even play poker, but I'm always looking for the tells. <laughs> I have a terrible folk poker face. So, you know, but when you look for the tells, that helps you understand, like, what's happening. And and I'm a big fan of a scorecard. So it's like, what are the symptoms that are occurring in the business that lead to its time to hire? One thing I cannot stand that happens, and it is detrimental to companies, is you get around to funding, and the very first thing that you think you need to do is go out and hire a bunch of people. And then all of a sudden, six months later, that team is completely wiped out because your product market fit wasn't there or whatever the case of the matter was. And now you've got a really bad brand reputation, so it's going to hurt you to hire. You've got a bad can't or um client experience they're talking about it on g2 crowd you've got terrible glass door reviews we're living out loud in a digital age that's going to come back and hit you like a boomerang so -hmm. when i think about timing it's about are you able to sustain what you're doing in the near term if the answer is no what can you take off of your plate? Maybe that's sales hiring. Maybe that's not. Maybe that's a sales leader. The one thing I can tell you that doesn't work out so well is somebody that's doing sales. And let's go to the startup again. It's like, okay, it's early stage sales. The founder's doing it. it's like, I need to hire a CRO. No, you don't. You sure don't. Um, and that's going to be too heavy duty of a hire. And it's not going to work out. And that's the wrong time to bring somebody like that in. Maybe it's more like a sales director. And not a fancy enterprise seller that uses that title, a yeah. true blue sales manager. Um, you know, So I think that there's a lot of different ways to skin the cat, so to speak. And I know people listening to this are like, I want you to tell me when I should do this. Yeah. I think it's about paying attention to your business and understanding what that looks like. And are you able to keep up? And instead of hiring teams and teams and teams of people because that's what you do at this stage, that might not be prudent for your business. Your business tells you more than anything you and I could ever say on this podcast.
0: I freaking love that. That's such good insight because I think that people lean towards overhiring, I, especially when they're in the growth mode. I, I, I sometimes feel like they're so headcount oriented that we get a growth number and we just think we got to hire our way there. I, I, I think that's part of why we have a turnover. The word I use is epidemic right now. Yeah, let, let's shift into that a little bit. I know turnovers high. I don't know what data you're seeing. Some of the stuff I saw is like it's in the high 20s, 26% of salespeople switch jobs. One 36%. of my, you got 34. Okay. Yep. So I have a customer, one of my biggest customers right now, uh, a, a company you would know very well, Amy, when they started working with us, it's because 36% of their sales team switched last year, wow. 36% rules. So, so to me, that's an epidemic. It is. It Why? Is. Why are we facing this right now?
1: Well, first of all, it's three times higher than any other kind of job. And enterprise sales is the number one job that tech companies are hiring for. So you've wow. got everyone wanting the same kind of person, but nobody can hang on to them. <laughs> it's like there's, it's like a double-edged sword of ick, right? So yeah. um, I think first and foremost, I celebrate radical transparency and accountability and ownership. And that seems to be lost in the hiring process these days. And there's a lot of like, so recruiting and sales, they're not dissimilar. (laughs) And you know how, like in the sales community, everyone's talking about being personalized, being human. It's the buyer journey. And I talk about that every day. I love it. It, it, It's absolutely what I stand for. Those same rules, they apply in recruiting. Hmm. And what happens is you've got a lot of pitching being done and very little dot connection of what's important to both parties. I think, employers come from this place of like, you're lucky to be working here. And while that might be true and you're a great place to work, this is also somebody's career and you can't do your business without them. So it's kind of like a two way street. And I I think that people, so it's so funny. I do the same way I approach my clients is the way that I approached my sales process. I celebrate discovery like throughout every stage. And when we kick off a new client, we have a really intense discovery process And so when I start asking them about like, what's your value proposition? What makes you special? What makes you unique that somebody's going to want to take my call to think about why they would move from where they're doing great things today or (sighs) ignore all these other recruiter calls. And I get the same things of like our culture. We're a B company backed by this company. I'm like, stop, stop it.
0: Stop
1: it with the jargon. You're saying what everybody else is saying. And it's not to the meat of the bone of what Your task at hand is, which is what makes you special. And so I know I'm going off on a tangent here, but I think this whole epidemic, and I agree with you and any other recruiter that's listening to this is probably going to put a hit out on me because (laughs) when I talk to potential clients, I'm like, I don't want all your business. I I don't know if you're a good client for me, if we haven't worked together before or vice versa, let's start with one and let's see how that goes and let's learn a lot from that and then let's scale it. And I think that's part of what's the matter with recruiting is like, and, and clients are like, what? What? Or prospects for me, they're like, what do you mean? Wait, you don't want all my business? Or they dangle the carrot of like, right? why don't you slash your price, what we get with contingent recruiting, and there's more where that came from. And I'm like, I, that doesn't mean anything to me, right? Like if you are a toxic sales environment, that means nothing to me. And so this is the whole point, and I know I sound – like I'm Pollyanna and I seriously feel like I was Joan of Arc for this industry that I'm in, but just calm down people and take one at a time, especially in the earlier days, learn from it, iterate and make it great from there. It doesn't have to be, let's build out an enterprise sales function. Let's hire 10 people across the country because we overhired. Now there's not enough territory. Nobody's going to be successful. Like all these icky things happen. So I'm
0: listening to you, Amy, and and as I'm listening to you right now, and I have a a high-growth company, and we're always hiring people right now. And and so I listen to you talk, and and you you come to me as I listen to you. You strike me as you're more than just a talent development partner. I'm guessing you have a lot of customers that you work with where you become like this, almost a consultant, an advisor. Um, What are some of the things as you work with heads of sales, and they're building teams, and they want to attract the best talent, what are some of the things that you would tell our listeners? These are the kind of attributes that make you the kind of leader that can attract the right people to your organization. There's got to be things that you see that you write. I love how you said, I don't even know if you're a good fit for me yet. And so that tells me that you're on the lookout for the right kinds of leaders that can win. What are the things that the, that the people listening to the show should be saying, I need to develop these kind of attributes so I can be that kind of leader that not only attracts the right people, that can develop them? Any,
1: anything that's on a punch list for you? Um, there is, so I think it's first and foremost mentality and not just telling me that you're this, but walking your talk. Um, so that's one thing is like, you're not just a blowhard. The other thing is I pay attention to, um, who followed you, right? Like the best leaders have people that are clamoring to work for them again and, and they're upset when they leave and how do I work for you wherever it is that you're going? So like that loyalty factor is important to me. I also pay attention through my negotiation process of, do you truly have a seat at the table, right? What kind of authority do you really have? Is this really your plan? Or are you a bobblehead doll that basically got an order that was handed down from you and you're just the executioner? It doesn't matter when it all costs and it promotes that icky behavior. Pay attention to that. So I think it's about the bits and pieces of what makes a sales leader great. And in my opinion, it's. You care deeply about your team because you realize you can't get where you need to go without them. And whatever you need to do to understand the buyer journey so that you speak their same language and you earn their respect because you get it, that's one. Two, um, you're not just managing through the spreadsheet. You're actually in the trenches with your team understanding what's going on with them. Three. By the way,
0: I got to interrupt you, Amy. I think spreadsheet leadership is one of the biggest problems that sales leaders make today. Yep. They, they all claim to be. I'm a data-driven leader, and I, I think that screwed up. I mean, the, the idea of it is is right. There's a lot of good things about it, but when we just hide behind the numbers, I think we alienate people.
1: Oh, a thousand plus infinity plus a million plus one percent. Yes. I mean, seriously, Rob. It's How not, do you really
0: feel about that? Yeah. I know.
1: I mean, well, <laughs> I'm not shy. Yeah. Um, but quite frankly, like what people don't realize either is like data is fierce. It's important. It should not be. But it can be manipulated, friends. It can be massaged. It's not always right. And so if you're hiding behind the spreadsheet or when you're talking to your team just about their pipeline in the spreadsheet, you shouldn't be talking to people about things that you can do yourself, right? You should be talking to them about what is happening in the buyer journey? The last time we talked, you told me X, Y, and Z was happening and it hasn't. What's going on? How can I help you? Here's here's what I've done to help you. What's the delta here, right? Like it's people, for whatever the reason is, people are afraid to have real conversations these days. And the only way that you can really get to the root cause of a problem is to get out of the spreadsheet and to figure it out firsthand by having a real conversation. And so I pay attention to all of those tells of communication. How are you treating me as your recruiting partner? Are you treating me like an order taker? You know, Rob, you said this before and I would agree. My engagements are much more robust. I'm not an order taker, right? I'm yeah. one. I always say this. It's like,
0: I get that. I get that with you.
1: Well, I'm one part recruiter. I'm one part therapist. If I'm yeah. keeping it real, I'm one part consultant and I'm one part coach. And I'll tell you yesterday. A client, I'm not working with them anymore. I haven't been for six months. He texted me and he's like, I have an urgent thing that I really want to get your opinion on. Can you make time? Of course. He had to have a coaching conversation and wanted to find out how I thought he might approach it because I knew both parties involved. I'm proud of that, right? Like I'm proud, but I'm proud that he cared about not my opinion, but getting that conversation right because he cared about that higher because he wants to do the business well. Those are the things that I think about. It's not always your playbook or hiding behind a piece of technology that tells you what kind of things are happening in the buyer journey or the conversations or whatever. That's important. That's good for themes. That's good for understanding certain things. But at the end of the day, if you don't know firsthand, how is your team really going to respect you if, if you're behind closed doors every day?
0: So let's shift the same theme. I'm sorry that I'm moving, but like the time's going and I got so many things I wanted to talk to you about. I've blown away how fast time goes. You're amazing, well, Amy. Yeah. My
1: goal is that I'm going to be Justin Walsh to be your second person that has a second podcast with you. All right.
0: Nice. <laughs> that's that's good company to be in. I'm a huge fan of Justin.
1: Same thing. Um,
0: uh, I know you are. So, so this is a similar, like, as I listen to you. So I asked you earlier, like, what, how do you know if this is the kind of leader that can attract people? And I love how you talk about the one that stood out to me that they care deeply. And you gave kind of a blueprint for how to, you know, if someone cares deeply. I hope our listeners will turn that into, do, do I, do I exhibit these things? Do I embody these things? Now I want to shift instead of through your lenses. I want to say, so you, you talk to the top recruits. You talk to the top talent. You're helping them find the right, the next best, the next place they go. What is the top talent looking for today? If you're going to be in a high growth organization that, that you know, is looking to grow, what are the top people looking for? If they're going to, if you want to win the right people, what kind of organization do you have to be able to provide to these people?
1: Two things that always come up, no matter what, I don't care what it is, how it is. It always comes up. One, that I have a seat at the table and that my voice can really be heard and that I can do the things that I'm brought on to do because there's trust and respect of making a hire to bet on me, that I really have that voice. Two, that there's product market fit, right? Because if if you don't have anything, if it's all smoke and mirrors or it's vaporware, good luck with everything else. Those are the number, those are the two top things. And people will argue with me and be like, no, 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 it's about money. I'm like, no, 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 no. The best people realize that those things are there, the money will follow.
0: All right, so that's interesting. I would not have guessed that those are the top two things, and I'm glad you shared that. So when you're hiring enterprise salespeople, they want to know that they're going to be heard, and number two, they want to know that their product is going to fit. That's really, really insightful. Um, how okay, how do you culture. culture? Okay, well, you define culture, and then I want to come back to two. But define culture means different things to different people. What does it mean to the top uh, enterprise or salespeople that when they're looking for their next place?
1: That sales is truly celebrated, that they have a place in the organization, that they're not the redheaded stepchild of a um, necessary evil. That's really what it means to them, and that they come together and that, you know, I mean, for the best enterprise sellers, these are experienced people. They don't care about doing beer keg Fridays. They care about the fact that they can be set up for success, that they're enabled, that their team comes together to do this well, that they can learn from each other, and that they've got a leader that cares about that versus having a frat por- party banging the gong on the sales floor. They don't care about that.
0: Yeah, I'm I i I'm glad that you said that because I think that a lot of people have confused those kinds of things for culture. Mm-hmm. And that if we make it a fun environment, that'll overcome maybe some other things that are missing. Yeah. So when these top people are looking for where they're going to go, okay, and that's who you are good at helping people get is the ones that will not be mishires, the ones that will contribute faster, the ones that you won't have to spend as much time developing. They'll still want development. We're going to get to that. Um, are there any things that like really are exhibit A, B and C that will help show that culture is good, that it's more than just a a frat house? Is is there anything that's like a good thing for a sales? Again, I'm thinking of my listeners. They're saying, okay, so how do I demonstrate that when I'm talking to people? How how do I demonstrate that? Because talk's cheap, right, Amy? Everyone's going to say we have a killer culture. How do they demonstrate it?
1: It's by really peeling back the layers and having collaborative discussion within the interview process and making sure that you make time for them to answer their questions even though they might be difficult questions to answer or maybe you don't have all the answers that's okay but that you're popping up the hood and truly showing them what's underneath versus like pitching that. them
0: you know what and that goes to the one of the first things you told me I wrote it down radical transparency yep. and uh, I, you know I like that because people will be the you know what I found is if people anything that they that they hide you know if there's something they don't let me see in the interview process it's because it's going to be a problem later on when I work there Yep. And so I think that's a really, really uh good piece of advice. I like that. That's that's awesome. Thank you.
1: Well, one of the things that I do, like, for example, before I ever get on a call, I do my diligence on people. And let's say their last door reviews are three stars. That's always a red flag for me. I'm like, whoa, um, not only what is going on, but what are you learning from it? I Einstein's definition of insanity is not lost on me.
0: Right, right.
1: And if they can't answer it or there's defensiveness or there's something like, I know that There's a problem there. If they are super onerous of it, like we screwed up. We didn't know what we were doing. This is why we're talking to you. Like we, this, this has hurt us deeply. If there's like that radical ownership of extreme accountability of like we screwed up and we know that we're getting our rear end handed to us on Glassdoor, I can work with that, right? But here's what happens. And I tell them, I was like, so the reason why I'm asking you this, and let's say like flash forward to our discovery process We talk about it thoroughly because i it's one of the very first things that I start sharing with candidates when we decide that it makes sense to talk about this because there's connective tissue versus just pitching jobs to people. Hey, you're going to do research. I've been in your shoes before. I care a whole lot about my career, and I want to know what the real story is. First thing you're going to see is a three-star glass door review. Here's what the deal is. Here's how they're working to fix it people appreciate that right like i'm not hiding behind something hoping that somebody doesn't do their diligence and then figures it out in 6 months and then you know i'm part of that process of making of, of making the wrong hire like that's just gross to me and so i know it's hard to look inward and say my baby's ugly in certain respects right but that's what it takes to get the cream of the sales crop sales leadership and or enterprise sellers these are experienced people This isn't their first rodeo. The smartest ones know how to ask the questions to find out where the bodies are buried. And they don't expect perfection. They do expect that you've learned from something, that you can speak to it, and that you're going to be in it together to make it better together. That's what they expect. And if you can't do that, don't hire them.
0: Okay. I love it. I love your candor. I love how straight to the point you are. I got three things, and I got six minutes, okay? (laughs) We're going to go fast. Okay, let's go. <laughs> Speed dating with Amy Volus. Here we go. All right, number one, um, how important is your ability to develop people uh, when you're in the attraction process? When you're recruiting a salesperson, how how important is your ability to help people grow and develop? Is that a big deal right now? Is it, I mean, where does that fall?
1: It's a huge deal because it's one thing to get me. It's another to help me be my best version of myself of where I want to go in my career with you. And if you can't do that, I'm going to go somewhere else after a certain period of time. Okay, so (laughs) since
0: it's a huge deal, how do you do it in the the recruiting process?
1: Oh, I think it's about, so I'm a huge fan of setting expectations early and often. My number one interview question is, what's important to you? And then I listen, and I make note of that, and I use that from an onboarding perspective of, these are the three things that you told me were most important. Here's what my plan is to address these three things. What do you think about that?
0: Love it. Okay. That's the first one. Second one. I'm I'm thinking now of existing leaders that are hiring salespeople for their team. Okay. Mm -hmm. In your experience, as you've done this, you know, this is what you do and you're arguably the best at, uh, what are the most important things to hire for when hiring salespeople? When you're looking for salespeople, is there like a couple things that stand out that you think are the most important things to hire for?
1: I'm a big fan of how somebody shows up and looking at all of those little bits and pieces. So you can tell me how great you are and that you went to president's club and that you've done this and that and the other thing. But if you don't follow up with me, if you've got grammatical errors all over the joint, if you're arrogant, if you are treating me like you're window shopping, I'm not interested. Right? So like the big thing is pay attention to the space between not just the shiny objects. It's the same thing for salespeople. Pay attention to the meat on the bone, not just the shiny objects. Stop chasing the hacks. Same thing with this.
0: Love it. Okay, the last one is our rapid fire, and you already answered one of them, but we'll still address it. Three questions really fast. You ready? Yep. Okay, biggest sales leadership challenge you see, and how do people beat it?
1: Oh, the biggest Oh, that's a good one, Rob. I got
0: you. This is good.
1: Okay. I makes know. me happy. I know. You know what? This is a really good one and I don't want to just shoot from the hip. I think one of the biggest challenges that sales leaders have is that they don't have a true seat at the table, right? Hmm. They get caught up in the excitement of an opportunity and then they realize they get there and there's no budget that they were told that they were going to get or it's just a number that's handed down to them and they don't have any authority over it. And now they're super bummed out because they're just an order taker. How do you beat it? It's a tricky one. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't, but to help defy the odds, I think a, you use a scorecard, right? Like I talk about this pretty much on every webcast podcast article. I write, (laughs) this is a common theme with me. This is not dissimilar to dating, right? And it's really easy to get seduced by all the exciting, opportunistic pieces of what's being told to you. And sometimes the story that we start telling ourselves is not the reality of the situation. And every time somebody comes my way and they're like, you know what, I got it wrong. I'm like, well, what happened? They're like, you know, I knew in the interview process I just shoved it down. So not shoving it down and holding yourself accountable and having a scorecard to get it all out there, like, your decision criteria and what is the most important thing or things to you and making sure that you have questions for each one of those and that you can thoroughly answer those. If you are afraid to ask a question out of any of that or you can't whiteboard it out or you're not given the opportunity to do that, there is a big red flag. It's not foolproof, but it certainly reduces that margin for error.
0: Really good, Amy. I love it. Okay. That's a good one. Number two, you've already answered. I was going to ask you what's your favorite interview question and what yours is, what's important to you. Is there a specific learning that you want to get from that though, more than just how you handle it? Is there anything specific you're looking for?
1: No, I just want to understand them because if I can't understand them, how in the hell am I going to bring the right role their way?
0: Be- beautiful, beautiful. Last one, leaders or readers. And I don't care if it's pre pages you turn or audibles you listen to or blogs you go to or podcasts, whatever. Is there anything that you would recommend to our audience that's really been helpful in your leadership journey that they might want to get a hold of?
1: I talked about him before and I got to bring him up again because I'm going to see him for the first time ever. And I'm so excited. Simon Sinek. It starts. He's got a new book, the infinite game. I'm reading it right now. Um, I don't care what you're doing. If you don't understand why you're doing it, that translates through the recruiting process that translates through the sales process. If you are not firmly planted in why you're doing something, you might want to read that book.
0: Amy, you're amazing. You're going to, you've done, you've given a great gift to our audience today. How do they get more of you? How do they learn more about what you're doing? How do they connect with you? You're a great connection. I'll tell our audience, if you're not following Amy, you need to, uh, she has great stuff she shares. It's, it's, it's a great person to be connected to. How do they get more? How do they connect? How, how do they continue the conversation?
1: Um, well, thank you for that. I like to live out loud, as you know, yes. <laughs> uh, the best way to connect with me and every which way to connect with me from there is on my profile LinkedIn. It's my jam. So Amy Volus, I think Dang. I'm the only one there. So or you can go to my website, AvenueTalentPartners.com. I should probably plug my own company. So there yeah, you go.
0: <laughs> there you go. Avenue Talent Partners, Amy Volas. She's helping salespeople uh, get seats at the table around the world, uh, helping people get into and stay in high growth mode. It is a sales organization built by salespeople for salespeople. Her name is Amy Volas. We've been s- super excited to have you. Amy, thank you so much for joining us, and happy selling.
1: Rob, thank you. This was awesome. I so appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? And I'm a fan of Amy. I've been, I follow Amy. Uh, I, I participate in a number of groups that she participates in. And I've been impressed with what she brings to the table to sales in general, but also specifically to her discipline and her area of expertise, and that's hiring and developing the very best teams. And... I really, really think the timing is perfect because I believe that there's a sales leadership crisis right now. I believe that we have a turnover epidemic. I think there's a lot of reasons why so many people fail to hit quota. Uh, there, there's a lot of reasons that start with how goals are set and delivered and, and, and it's multifaceted. But certainly building teams really fast and just trying to get butts in seats is a part of it. And I, I love her perspective that it starts with the idea that sales is sales, and that if someone's been successful in one place, then certainly they'll be successful here. And, and I personally have experienced by the person, I'm the person who's made that mistake. Um, I shared that, that uh, example in the interview and in, in our conversation today. I would tell you that as you're entering high growth mode and as you're scaling to stay there, who you add is going to be really, really crucial, and, and it starts with who you add on the leadership side. Um, and, and I really like Amy's approach to building kind of a blueprint for hiring in a real purposeful way. And so I would challenge you to go back and listen to that. She, she gives a couple of really good nuggets. Here, here's a couple of them. First one, make sure that you know that they know why they were successful and how they were successful. It wasn't just that they were successful. They needed to know the why and the how. And and really take your time understanding that because um, some people just are fortunate to show up in a hot market with a great product and ride the wave. Other people, um, they are enabled and equipped uh, really well, and they benefit from that. Uh, Other people are very talented in other ways, and they're able to connect and, 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 and solve very specific problems and create roadmaps to the future state but but i would want i would have a playbook i would have a good understanding of what are the skills that it takes in order to be successful here and be very careful that you hire people that fit that mold because they know why and how they are successful rather than just that they were successful amy talks about becoming very good at connecting dots rather than just pitching and so i think that you can't connect the dots unless you know what the dots are first and that's why I think that understanding the role and understanding the how and the why becomes so, so crucial. And if we're honest, I don't think that we spend enough time thinking about that. Um, and that's what will give you the ability to do what Amy says and hire people that care deeply about what they do. I remember writing that down. That was really a p- good piece of insight from her on making sure that you have, you are surrounding yourself with people that care deeply, whatever it is they do. Um, you know, I, I think that that's something that you can't overemphasize. you got to give a shit. And, um, and, and that will then make it easier for you to stop recruiting and start attracting. Because for people who understand the how and understand the why, for people that are uh, a good fit in the dot-to-dot game, for people that do care deeply, they will be on high alert for organizations that embody those same things. And if you're not attracting people and you're still like, heavy slogging, uh, you know, tough sledding, trying to get people to come talk to you, it, it, that means you probably haven't figured that out yet. Uh, my experience has been when you get that figured out, you start to, to attract people. You become this magnet. Um, my good friend Ralph Barcy calls it firing off the, the bat signal and shooting that up into the sky. And so you should be attracting, not just recruiting. And she gave three things that would help you do that. Make sure people are heard and they're listened to. Make sure that you are uh, really focused on your product market fit and and ultimately culture. And and she had a great conversation on what culture is and is not. But really that it's salespeople are truly celebrated and not necessary evils. So do those things and you're going to find that you'll start attracting. The final piece that I really wrote down that she emphasized throughout this conversation was transparency is your best friend. If you're transparent to them, you can expect them to be transparent to you. And we shouldn't hide our warts. We, we should make sure that people come with their you know, eyes wide open. They know what we're great at. They know what they're hired to help us fix. Um, and I think that, that if we do all of those things, then the best way you're going to be able to have a differentiator is if you can then, once you know you have a great fit, you can, instead of pitching them on the company, you can really outline how you're going to help them become the best version of their self and develop faster under your leadership and as part of your program than if they go anywhere else. And I've found that she's right. That is the differentiator. People want to go where they'll be developed. They want to go where they'll be celebrated. They want to go where they're going to be able to grow and stretch faster than anywhere else. So reach out to Amy. If you don't follow her, start. If you haven't connected with her, do it. Uh, Take your questions to her. She's a killer resource. She's awesome to work with. Uh, I'm grateful that we had her on. Thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks to each of you for subscribing, getting lots of great suggestions and feedback. So grateful to the kind things that you've been saying about the show. Uh, Please, please, please get out and give us those five star ratings. And as always, like we say every episode, don't worry, just execute because we got you. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in
1: sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced
0: by Brian Jepsen and is sponsored by Exvoyant, the modern sales leadership platform
1: for Salesforce.com users. You can visit Exvoyant at exvoyant.com.